Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, there are just four days to go of Roland Garros 2023 and our singles semi-final lineups are now set and they look thus. Of course, we had the matches that were set up yesterday between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic and of course, Karolina Mukova and Arena Sabalenka in the women's. And today we set up semi-finals between Iga Svantec and Beatrice Haddad Meyer and Kasper Ruud. And Alexander Zverev. David's here. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. Um, I, I feel a little bit like Holger Rune in the first two sets, just in terms of a little bit of fatigue. But I'm confident if I put my best foot forward, I'll be more energetic as we go along, like he was. You look better than Holger Rune did in the first two sets, <laughs> David. That's some good news for you. And I'm confident that, I'm confident that your performance will be better. <laughs> Matt's here. Hello, Matt. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We will talk, don't you worry, about what on earth happened in the match that we have just come from this evening between Holger Rune and Kasper Reed. What a a wild time we have had this evening. But I feel like we should start with the women because they have kind of the least time to breathe before they go again in the semi-finals tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, is women's semi-finals day. Friday is men's semi-finals day so let's go chronologically let's go all the way back to the start of the day at 11 a.m and Ons Jabeur against Beatrice Haddad Meyer won of course by Beatrice Haddad Meyer in three sets the comeback win a match I think I don't we haven't talked about this over the course of today of the day so I don't know if this is a controversial take I think Ons Jabeur should have won that match Oh, she should have won the match, yeah. I I was in early today because of commentating on that match. And I give enormous credit to Beatrice Haddad-Meyer for for mounting that comeback, finding a way to get to her first ever semi-final. But Ange Jabeur won the first set. She had 15-40 midway through one of the games in the second set. And she just was too lax. You know, she she was too loose. She was hitting too many drop shots... And they weren't, weren't her best ones. And it was actually very impressive the way Haddad Meyer started to read that they were coming. And uh, she was tracking them down. And then Jabir started to miss them. 
but I don't know. I, I, she had another chance at 15-40 later in the set as well. You've just got to take those chances. When you're a top player, and I regard her as a top player, up against a woman who's really inexperienced at that sort of situation, she let her off the hook. Yeah, I thought this was the sort of Grand Slam performance that Ons Jabeur had grown out of. I thought this felt like a bit of a reversion to pre-reaching the Wimbledon final and reaching the US Open final. And I think loose is a very good word for it, David. And I would say just a lack of discipline in her game. She was, yeah, overhitting the drop shots and had Admire was reading them and she was a bit wayward with the unforced errors. And I definitely think that she should have won this match. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Hadad Meyer because I think Hadad Meyer is is part of the reason why Ons Jabeur didn't win this match for sure because I think a lot of Hadad Meyer's opponents this week will feel they should have beaten her you know she's made that such a trademark coming back in matches she was I think 4-1 down in in the third set against Alexandrova way back in the third round had to save a match point there she was a set and three love down against Cyrus Rebus Tormo, you know, there's just been so many occasions um, where she probably should have gone out of this tournament. And yet her tenacity, her fight, her spirit has, has seen her through. And also her tennis. She, she played the much better tennis in that third set. She started to find her down-the-line shots and she was putting Jabur under a lot of pressure with her deep returns. And just generally she was brilliant, whereas Jabur very much tailed off as as that match went on and that was this was a match that Jabur won 6-3-6 love in Stuttgart just uh just a month or so ago not real clay is what David would say <laughs> quite right Catherine <laughs> absolutely not real clay yeah and I I think I, I think Jabur should be gutted really that she didn't take that opportunity to to reach the semis here I saw similarities in the narrative arc with last year's Wimbledon final. Now, the the quality was not as high. Beatrice said Admire was not as good as Elena Rabatkina. Ange Jabeur wasn't as good today as she was in that Wimbledon final. Some people may find this a tad reductive, but just in terms of the chapters of the match, yes, Admire did win it in the end. She did. She She played... Exactly as Matt said, by far the better tennis in that third set. She won it, she took it, she clenched her opportunity. But the fact that she had an opportunity to win it was down to Ons Jabeur opening the door. And I think she did that more so today than she did at SW19 last year. But I do see, I do see similarities. She talked a lot in her press conference after this defeat, Jabur, and don't worry, we will talk plenty about Beatrice that I admire because she's, she's an incredible story. But just to, to finish off the Jabur French Open story, she was already thinking about Wimbledon and doing exactly what she did with Wimbledon last year, which was tell us, this is my goal for the season. This is what I want. I don't know if she's put the trophy on her lock screen again, but I'd be very surprised if she hadn't. I mean, she's practically you know, dressing up as the Venus Rosewater dish at this point, isn't she? And, you know, getting it painted onto her face. I love that she tells us, but <laughs> I, I don't I don't know whether it's the right thing. It doesn't matter if it's the right thing because it's who she is 
and it's the only way she can and wants to do things. But she got so wow. close last year with that approach, with that all-in, full-hearted approach, wearing a heart and a sleeve, believing. If you can get that close, you may as well go with that. And as you say, if that's you, that's your best chance. Be you. I, I, I like that, the, that she does it. Well, now she's put that out there again, it really is going to be fascinating to see her on the grass, isn't it? I absolutely cannot wait for that. Beatrice Haddadmeyer, the first Brazilian woman since Maria Bueno in 1968 to reach a Grand Slam semi-final, any Grand Slam semi-final. And don't want to give too much away. I'm just going to lay a, a Taylor Swift egg-esque Easter egg here and say we've been thinking quite a lot about Maria Bueno recently for reasons I couldn't possibly explain. <laughs> and... I feel like... That might be a bit more than an Easter egg. <laughs> but I love just it. Just a little, just a little Speak Now Taylor's version mm. drop, you mm. know. Um, <laughs> I feel like I understand a little bit of what that means and what Maria Bueno means to her, even though she was born so many years after Maria Bueno was doing the things for which she she made herself famous in Brazil and, and around the world. It feels like it's in her DNA, her tennis DNA, Maria Bueno and what she did and who she was to that nation. And that achievement is so significant to her, isn't it? Walking in those footsteps. Yeah, and uh, I, I did go to her, to her press conference and, and I sense some similarities with Jabir in terms of leaning into what this means in Brazil and what this means to her fans and her family and her coach and all the people that have been supporting her and to her. She doesn't try and block that out. She doesn't try to pretend it's not a thing. She she uh, owns it all and I think she draws some strength from it. You only have to see the way she perseveres in these ridiculously long matches she's able to handle it she can handle these high pressure situations even though it matters so much to her she can still perform she gets better she gets better as matches go on she's kind of like a diesel on on the women's tour you know and and, and it's it's great to see that and I have to be I, I'm I feel slightly ashamed to say that I'd forgotten just how horrific her injuries were a few years ago and I kind of asked her you're 27 it's you seem to be playing your best now how come it's taken so long what changed and she reminded me very quickly and she was very charming actually not not to sort of just make me look stupid really because she could have done but she just said you know my my career was I was decimated really by the injuries and uh and she had surgeries galore and really serious stuff and it's just fantastic seeing her so fit now and so ready Good of her not to make you look stupid twice after she'd already done that by going out in the first round of Wimbledon <laughs> last year. <laughs> I think she and I have an understanding. <laughs> she, she, I, I owe her one, she owes me one. We're, we're all right, we're all right. Such a good point about her getting better as the match went on. Matt, you and I were watching this match together and it all felt on the line, Franz Jabeur, in that second set. I just had this feeling that as soon as it goes into a third set, it becomes Beatrice had admires match because that's her comfort zone. Mm. You know, she she wants the match to go as long as possible. It's like the really telling Sara Cerebe's Tormo quote from her 
following her defeat to her dad, Maya, in the previous round, you know, in four hours, pretty much. And she was asked, you know, God, what was it like playing in a match so awfully grueling? She's like, honestly, I was having the time of my life. <laughs> and I think her dad, Maya, was as well, whereas Jabir got more and more stressed yeah. as the match went on. It was such a contrast. Yeah, I I spoke about... Sribo's Tormo and Hadad Meyer as distance runners the other day, and Hadad Meyer used that term herself. She said, it, you know, it, she really does see it as a marathon, and she backs herself in, in those third sets. She's now won four deciding sets in a row. And I think in this one, she was actually even more comfortable than she had been in the, in the previous rounds because even in that third set, she was the underdog. And I think there was a there was a freedom about her tennis. She was really going after her shots a lot more against Jabir than, than she had certainly against Rivas Tormo. I watched that deciding set closely and it was edgy. It was tense, you know, physically they were strong, but the tennis wasn't anything special. But in this set, I thought she was awesome in that, in that deciding set. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real weapon to have, to know that you can lean on that, physical strength and that stamina and that endurance and to do it after so many matches is is impressive especially as and we will do more looking ahead to the semi-finals shortly but especially as the opponent she'll be playing in the semi-finals who spoiler alert will be the heavy favorite world number one Svantec, has not been playing a whole lot of three set matches in the last couple of years because she doesn't need to because she's too good to, to need a third set. But we we have often speculated, haven't we, that that's a potential area of vulnerability for her. If she can get dragged into a third set dogfight, that's not where she's comfortable. So that's surely going to be in Beatrice Haddad Meyer's mind going into this match. And she's already beaten Iga Spiontek mm. in a third set last year. Yeah, you know, she Not has. on clay, not in a Grand Slam semi-final, but... It's something to cling to. I mean, it's a winning head-to-head. It's a massive thing to cling when to. When you consider the number of victories that Sviantec had last year, that's pretty big, I think, mm. mentally for her. Well, how about Sviantec then? Two straight sets for her over Coco Goff. 6-4, 6-2. I think we all watched pretty much all of this match. The first set was the interesting one, wasn't it? It was the one that was different to their previous meetings. You might look at this scoreline and think, well, that's pretty much what we all expected from an Iga Svantec-Coco Goff match. And I think the second set was. We'll come on to talk about that in a moment. But there was something quite different about that first set, wasn't there? Well, she adopted a different strategy altogether, did Coco Goff. I was speculating last night, maybe she's just going to go for everything and tee off. She did do some of that, but I felt the the biggest change was on her forehand. She was just looping it, often half court balls or three quarter depth balls with height, with topspin to make them bounce high, not give any pace, and sort of push Shantek back with just the trajectory that it went. And Shantek was missing quite a few. She was just she must have made four or five unforced errors off that very ball. Um, but she also competed really well in that first set. I mean, it got to... There was an early break. Coco Goff got the, the break back. And then it was only when it went four all 
or the the or sorry, I think she led five four with a, with it on serve, and then she broke. And that's always the difficult thing, isn't it? When you're serving second, you're always just that one slight slip away from losing the set, and you've got no room to get it back again. Um, so I thought it was a very clever strategy, actually. I think personally, she made real strides today. She had s- several break points as well in the in at the start of the second set, and then I I, I actually had to leave. Uh, the match I couldn't watch anymore but until 2-1 in that second set I felt it was really close it felt close to me Mm. yeah just on that change of tactic I I was trying to work out how much of it was about trying to disrupt Igor Svantec and how much of it was about trying to get the most out of her own game and I think I actually landed more on the latter, because I really don't think the playbook for beating Igor Svantec is to loop balls up to her and hope that she misses. And I loved seeing that Coco Goff tried that because it was really interesting to just see a new tactic, a new approach, and so many of those loopy shots were going down the line. She was really targeting the Svantec backhand with it. But she was relying on Svantec missing. And Svantec was missing, as, as David said, but I think really the tactic, as we've seen from Rybakina, from Sabalenka, from Pagula, from even Krejcikova, is if you can, you need to be able to hitch Fiontek off the court. But I think Goff isn't in a position at the moment that she can trust herself to go after that forehand without just making so many unforced errors. So I thought it was actually really smart from Goff to realise what the best approach was. It wasn't the obvious one. You know, the obvious one was try and blast Fiontek off the court. But I think she knew that wasn't going to work because her game just isn't ready for that at the moment. So she she really sort of cerebrally used what she had. And that was these loopy shots down the line to Fiontek. And it really was working for, as David said, eight or nine games and it almost worked at the start of the second set as well she had she had a couple of break points did miss forehands on them and then never really got it back together after that but for for a set and a bit I think it was really encouraging for golf yeah I I was a little disappointed with what happened from from two that two one game onwards um given what had come before it exactly as you've described I do feel like she went a bit mentally from that point, not in terms of her competitiveness, because that's always there, but suddenly there was some bad decision-making on the court, you know, some some poor shot selection, some missed backhands that, you know, she, that she would just never miss. That's such a reliable, dreamy shot. Um, and, and, yeah, it felt like she just lost her way a bit which I wanted to say no it was good it was working just might not be enough to win but just stick with it you know but trying something new like that is hard and I really admire and respect her for doing it and I hope she can feel positive in some ways about this match I'm always wary of players feeling too positive about defeats I I don't know if this makes me sound like a total sadist but I want them to hurt you know it shows it shows desire and fang, and I it, think, it, it for, did, for it to hurt. And it, it seems like it did. Yeah, I, I was in the press conference and sitting next to Mary Carrillo. Um, and we had a chat about her when we came out. But the, the first thing that struck me was actually 
something that Mary had told us ages ago about hiding your your weakness and and I felt that that lofted forehand was an an, an attempt to to not make errors herself with it you know it's it, because then it's not it's not going to break down if you mm. do that as much I think it was kind of a a, a two pronged strategy really in that way um, but but she was really she looked really sad in in the press conference she wasn't tearful the way that that she was after the final last year but when we walked out mary said oh, she's you know she's she's been crying you know or she or she's been really she looks really sad and and yeah she admitted that she's frustrated and um and i think being frustrated is okay she she actually referenced that that point that you mentioned about is am i doing this to try to, to discombobulate Combobulate my opponent, or am I doing it because this is how I want to play? And she said it wasn't really how I want to play. So she she was having to sacrifice a bit of herself there, and I, and I don't think that felt entirely comfortable to her. But it was actually maybe a bit more successful than anything else I've seen her do. Mm. Yeah, she's she used the word crappy, didn't she, to describe a seventh loss in a row to Igor Swiatek and how that feels and. It struck me that she's she's kind of stuck in an unrivalry now, you know. And I think mentally, as any, as much as anything, that must be really hard. You've got she's got to find a way to tell herself that these experiences against Igor Swiatek will ultimately make her a better player. And I think she knows that. Do you think that's true? I think so. Well, look at today. You know, she realised that she had to try something else. She found a, she found a new option. But I think I think it's only true if if you make it so. Like I think it could mm. be completely demoralising. And I think that's the instant reaction that she has. It is demoralising. But she's trying desperately to see some positives in it and take something away from the match. It's really really hard. But she's trying. And I respect her for that. Mm. Grass is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because we all associate her so much with grass because it's where she had her extraordinary breakthrough in 2019 as a 15-year-old. And yet instinctively, I feel like grass isn't where she wants to be right now because taking time away on that forehand sounds like bad news Mm. to me. But it might be her best chance at a win over Igor (laughs) Shontek. Very true. Uh, so, Shontek against her dad, Maya. What do we think? Well, and let's go Mukova against Sabalenka as well. What do we think on them both? Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I think they're both really interesting. I love that once again, we're at the latter stages of a tournament and we've got two of the very best players in the world there. That is continuing the theme of the season, really. You know, at least one of Sviantec, Sabalenka and Rybakina has, has shown up at every single event, often multiple of them, and I, I love it. Honestly, that's the final I want to see. I do want to see Sviantec against Sabalenka. I think both Hadadmaya and Mukova are... Very good potential disruptors, though. I, I think uh, Mukova's game could cause Sabalenka to malfunction a bit. I just trust Sabalenka so much this year that she will get it back on track. And I think, as we said, Hadad Meyer needs to, needs to try and drag Igor Svantec into 
three all in the third, four all in the third. If she can somehow get it there, she she will she will stand a chance. But I really want to see that. I just want to see what it looks like to see Igor Fiontek in a dogfight like that on Philippe Chatrier in ever, Paris. Have we ever seen that? I have we ever no, seen her in a close I, have, I haven't. Has she played three sets. She played three sets against Jung Chin Wen last year. Yeah. Jung Chin Wen won the opener. Um, but then I think it was very straightforward for Igor Sviantek. And that was the match where Shin Wen, Shin Wen faded massively and she came into press and said she had a period afterwards. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't feel like the three-set dogfight mm. that I'm... It's not a tick in the box for me. Mm. Mm. I want to see it. I don't know what it looks like. There's, There's the added extra element i don't know how much it's on their mind i mean judging by their pre-tournament press conferences not much considering they didn't seem to know the various permutations but if 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 rena sabalenka wins in the in the first semi-final and igor shvantek loses rena sabalenka will become the new world number one and you know i just i just wonder whether it's just directly playing after one you know one after the other that might Add a little element of extra pressure. Like Arsenal know, playing sure. after Man City. Right, exactly. And collapsing. Those sorts of vibes. Mm. <laughs> I trust I trust Fiontech more than I trust <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> Quite right. Um, yeah, Sabalenka just has to outperform Fiontech this tournament, doesn't she, to reach world number one. So if Sabalenka were to beat Fiontech in the final, that would be a, a French Open and a world number one, all coming to her in the same moment, Carlos Alcaraz style. So... Look, we're a few days away from that scenario, but no pressure arena is what I would say. So far, so far, our <laughs> hype trains towards a particular match have gone quite well. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So how about the men's matches that we saw today? Should we work backwards on this because... 
Holger Rune and Casper Reed are so very fresh <laughs> in our minds, aren't they? What on earth did we see this evening? I'm going to read out the score, but I'm also going to tell you that there is sort of... I don't know how much this... Maybe the score does tell you everything you need to know. I don't know. Uh, 6-1, for Casper Rude over Holger Rune. What on earth happened? I think it tells you the flows of of the match a bit because it was extremely one-sided in the first two sets. I would even say that three games flatters him, really, Holger Rune. He was so bad. He hit so many double faults in the first few minutes of the match. And oh, it was, it was the worst two sets of tennis I've seen from anyone possibly ever. <laughs> it was 18 unforced errors in the first set. And that was a very short first set and five five double faults. He lost 11 points in a row at one point. It was The ghastly. one game he did win, he was love 40 down. It, like was it was absolutely bad. ghastly. I, I thought at one point the crowd are not far off booing him here just for being rubbish. And then they actually went the other way into sympathy and a bit of inc- polite encouragement. But it didn't really do much good. He looked like a reanimated corpse, didn't he? His face... I mean, he has come into press after this match and said he was physically fine in that match. And I don't know if he's lying or trying to be sporting and not make excuses. I think that could be a big part of it. Unfortunately, both he and Kasper Ruud seem to be quite committed to putting their aggro days behind them, which is a tremendous disappointment for everybody else. Um, so maybe it's an attempt to be sporting in awareness that he has developed a bit of a reputation for maybe not being that sporting. I don't know, but... I do not believe him when he says he was 100% physically fit. I don't know if it was the after effects of that five-setter against Francisco Surindolo. I don't know if he had some escargot. I don't know whether he took some (laughs) ill-timed melatonin before the match. If somebody had told me that he was the one with the melatonin and had the nap, I would definitely have believed him. Yeah, you cannot tell me. I mean, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, just look up a sort of close-up screen grab of his face from the match he had those thumb mark indentations below his eyes sort of beyond bags it i mean it was extraordinary for a fresh-faced 20 year old to look as haggard as that was really alarming um and he was walking strangely look i'm sure there were other things going on as well panic um, not being used to that sort of situation. I'm sure it all sort of snowballed for him, but there is no way that was a f- physically well professional athlete aged 20 years old for those two sets. Yeah. I mean, especially after he'd said the other day, after beating Surundalo, he really felt like this was a last push and that he was struggling physically. He was quite open about that that he was tired after that so it very much figures that a couple of days later he comes out and plays like this makes sense for us to think he's physically not well you know um so i i don't really understand those comments either uh, I, I don't know whether is it more alarming if he was physically fine and he played like that 
He wasn't physically fine. We all saw that he face. Can't have been. He wasn't physically fine. Casper Ruud didn't say, yeah, he wasn't physically <laughs> fine. I mean, even Casper Ruud said um, on the... Yeah, actually, that's right. He's got a track record of telling us <laughs> untruths after these matches. Um, even Casper Ruud said in his on-court interview, uh, he said, look, you know, I was helped out in those first two sets by Holger obviously not being physically 100%. And then... Runa goes off for a for a extended toilet break. Well, not that extended, actually, just a standard toilet break at the end of that set. Comes back out. One of the first things that happens is when he's about to serve. A, I, d- I don't know if Holger Runa speaks French. I'm not suggesting that he heard or understood this cry, but from where we were sitting, <laughs> we could hear very clearly a guy yell out in French. Um, just as Holgerina was about to serve, Allez, Holger, on a payé pour ça. Which means, go on, Holger, we've paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much from that moment onwards, he grew a fresh pair of legs and became utterly inspired. Yeah. It, it felt on for well, a while there, didn't it? Inspired Holgerina is some sight. He is one heck of a shot maker. I mean, you'd, in those first two sets, and, and qu- quite a lot of the, the Surindolo match, you, I don't think of him as a really big ball striker necessarily. But it's in there. Mm. When he decides he's going to just pull the trigger on stuff, forehand and backhand, the ball is like a laser off his strings. And he, he hits some absolutely spellbinding winners. Um, and, and it did kind of feel on to me. Um, I, do th- I do think Kasper Ruud did a really good job tonight to just snuff him out. And, uh, and I think he's done a really good job all tournament to get to this position, given he's clearly not as confident as he was a year ago. He's feeling the pressure. He's told us that. But yeah, I did think it was on for a while. A really good job is very Kasper Ruud language, isn't it? We're sort of using all these extreme adjectives to describe Holger Rune at, at both ends of the spectrum. And for Casper Rude, it's just an ex- a really good job. <laughs> well done, Casper. A mm. really good, solid job. Mm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, glad he backed up his win over Nicholas Jarry. That's, that's, that's one thing I would say. Christ, I'm still hearing about Nicholas Jarry <laughs> all back- day, every day. <laughs> It, Matt was talking to another journalist in the press box today just before the match and the crooks were in the press association and she said, I just don't really know what kind of form Casper Ruud's played because, you know, he hasn't really played any, had to beat anyone of note. And, you know, this was light chit-chat and Matt sort of frowned and looked personally offended and I was like, is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? And a few beats went by and he went, yeah, well, Nicholas Jarry... <laughs> No, well, I'm defending him so hard. He was dead to me a couple of days ago. Uh, but I thought Casper Ruud played a good, a good match tonight, other than about five or six games. At the start of the third set, his, his timing went off. He got tight. He was struggling to find the, find the strings at some point. You know, he, he played a really bad period, but it was right when Runa was just beginning to get inspired and... It led to Runa opening up quite a gap in that in that second set, but he composed himself pretty quickly, Rude, and gathered himself. And then, 
you know, sort of started doing what he does in that in that fourth set again. And his his forehand is such a weapon. I mean, he when he gets it on that side, he can really open up the court. And he and I, and I like the way he follows it in and often hits drive volleys. That's yeah. that's a that's a real trademark of his. It's very effective, and he he generally protected his backhand. I, I thought think. his backhand was better tonight. Yeah, I, I think th- he he was sometimes going down the line with that and being assertive. Yeah, I thought I thought he had his backhand absolutely fine tonight. Um, he, he more sexy language for <laughs> to describe Casper Ruiz's game. <laughs> very well done. It was fine. <laughs> he's uh, he's like Cameron Norrie. We do that to him as well, don't we? Uh, I was very impressed with him around the forecourt. Yeah, today, good touch. Mm. Yeah, and had a really good sense of when to come in. Yeah, like he always seemed to be there at the right times and looked. Look, I mean, you know, he's not Tim Hemman, but he looked like he he knows what he can and can't do. Efficient and reliable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very efficient. He he doesn't go for a three euro shot when a one euro shot will do. You know, sexy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just he's he's us on the slot machines in Vegas with the constant <laughs> minimum bets. <laughs> Look, I came out evens. So, Me too. Yeah, we are Casper it works. Um. Yeah, so now we now we have Casper. Look, it is it. it no, no, I don't think any of us had him in our quarterfinals, did we? And here he is back no, in I had the Nicholas semifinals. <laughs> get over it, Matt. He'll never get over it. It's like Beatrice has had mine for me being a good, oh, good pick. I'm going to receive a message from my dad overnight about this podcast being too giggly again. <laughs> Just brace myself for that, right? So it means that we have Kasper Rude against Alexander Zverev in the semi-finals, and that is because Zverev today beat Thomas Martin Echeverry six four three six six three six four. I was so impressed with Thomas Martin Echeverry. Yeah, he's he's way better than I thought. Yeah, m- me too. And way there's just so much more to him than mm. I thought. I had real anxiety ahead of this match that they would be. In Matt's words, did just delighted to be here. Energy about Thomas Martin Echeverry. He's got a dog called Roland Garros, which obviously I absolutely love. It's my my favourite thing ever. Although I was quite concerned that there were no recent photos of this dog. I was concerned for its welfare. But anyway, turns out Roland Garros is alive and well. Um, but yeah, I was worried about it being like Casper Ruud in last year's final you know just sort of overawed and yeah just pleased to have got that far but he didn't want to be that guy today and I felt like he really told everyone watching I'm not that guy I'm here to play and he really did play he exactly as you predicted in the opening games David made Alexander Zverev work for that victory oh, yeah. I mean, it's well over three hours it was it was pretty savage match in terms of baseline exchanges. I mean, Zverev is is a mongrel of a player, isn't he, from the baseline? He's happy to get his knees dirty and, and, and be in an uncomfortable situation. And so you just ended up with these two knocking each other around for three and a half hours on the court. And, and I do feel as though um, 
Echeverry is way better than I thought, and he had a couple of glimmers. And I, I find it pretty astonishing that Zverev has got himself back into this semi-final a year on from that that ankle. I mean, that was one of the most horrific ankle turns I've ever seen. And uh, I mean, he he was he was out for what six months, and he's not looked right until this week, if we're honest. Um, so it's it's quite quite an achievement that and uh, him and actually him and Rude I think Rude it's impressive that he's got back to this position from a different perspective just mentally but it's it's an interesting semi final that um, but I but I was very impressed with with both of them in that match it was a good good contest yeah Zverev is playing pretty much as well as he was last year now. I think there was a patch in that match where he wasn't. The double faults came back. He looked a bit more hesitant and Echeverry was there to pounce. But, you know, there will be lulls over a three-hour, 22-minute match. I thought, by and large, he was very impressive today. And it is funny that Rude and Zverev are two semi-finalists from last year and yet nobody really thought they'd be back in the semi-finals this year. They're kind of a total surprise and not all at the same time. Mm, yeah, I think that's a that's a good way of putting it. And um, I found out today that the men's semi-finals, although there's no night session, they are two different sessions. It, mm. is, it is two tickets. So I feel like, look, as as good a match as Zverev Rude is, <laughs> that that feels like a big moment when the order of play drops tomorrow for men's semi-final ticket holders I feel like my thoughts and prayers are with the ones <laughs> who who don't have the Alcaraz Djokovic we match. think don't we that it's almost certain that Alcaraz Djokovic will be the first match just because they've had the extra days recovery yeah that's and certainly what they did it's what they did last year with Nadal Zverev was, yeah. was the first semi-final from that half of the draw so look if you're a ticket holder for Friday for the second match I would just Brace yourself. And if you're pleasantly surprised, great. But lower your expectations would be <laughs> would be my advice. Tomorrow's order of play, folks. Big news. Mm. We start at midday on Philippe Chetri with Miyu Kato and Tim Puetz in the mixed doubles final against Bianca Andrescu and Michael Venus. You're going to be courtside, aren't you? <laughs> is that a total win-win for you, Catherine? It is, but I do want Puetz and Kato to win. What about Coco? Well, she'll be there either way, won't she? I I'll know, get... but you're cheering against Coco and Bianca and But Andrescu. I feel like Bianca would be really happy for Tim Puetz and, and Miu Kato. I really want to be mates with Tim, <laughs> with that, Tim Puetz. So... <laughs> I can't drop him now. So that is your excellent uh, hors d'oeuvre for the day. And it precedes the women's singles semifinals. Karolina Mukova against Irina Sabalenka is first. And then Iga Svantec up against Beatrice Haddad Meyer. What do we have elsewhere? We have the big legends event that got underway today. Some names that are taking part in the legends. Andre Medvedev. Oh, I didn't know. 
Uh, you've got Kim Kleisters and Caroline Wozniacki playing together. Gabriella Sabatini playing with Mats Verlander. I believe it's a sort of mix and match situation this year, isn't it? These aren't permanent partnerships. It's a sort of merry-go-round. Uh, so tomorrow, Andre Medvedev is playing with Gisela Dulko. Okay. You've got Michael Chang and John McEnroe, which is a pickleball reunion, I think. <laughs> that is a surprising combination <laughs> to me. They recently played a pickleball tournament together. Yeah. Mm. Andre Medvedev, I think this is correct, filled what will be the last ever washout at a Grand Slam. It was in, it was in 2019 at the French Open here... And there was no play on a day. And yet we, we did a podcast because I interviewed Andre Medvedev and we put that out. And I, I don't think, because all the other slams had roofs at that point and the next time the French Open was played, there was a roof on Chatrier. So I think that is the last ever washout day. And Andre Medvedev yeah. came to the rescue. That for always the podcast. felt quite impressive to me until the next year when we did 29 shows, <laughs> when we had no play at all yeah. <laughs> during Wimbledon and the French yeah, we Open. One day without Grand Slam yeah. tennis was tough. Pandemic. Then ahoy. tennis relived was born. Uh, we have men's double semi finals tomorrow. Marcel Grenoz and Horatio Zabias up against Ivan Dodig. And Austin Krychek, and we have Matwe Middlecoop, and Andreas Mies taking on Sander Gil and Jan Vliegen. Mm. Those are the two men's doubles semi-finals. And Matt has been talent spotting the juniors. Yes, well, we've been tipped off by Mary Carrillo, who in turn was tipped off by Lindsay Davenport. Oh, Which well, that feels like, like something you have to listen to. It's quite, quite a good chain of command, yeah. isn't it? So uh, this was 15-year-old Darwin Blanche. It's the most amazing name. He has to make it. Where's he from? He is American, uh, but he trains at the Juan Carlos Ferrero Academy, and he is... It bodes well. The He's... last time Matt spotted somebody from the Juan Carlos <laughs> <laughs> Academy it turned out pretty good. Mm. And Darwin is uh, Carlos's, you know, regular practice partner and hitting partner. And um, Juan Carlos Ferrero was there today in the in the stands watching. And yeah, he's he's 15 years old and he's through to the quarterfinals. He's beaten two 18 year olds, including the number one seed, and a 17 year old. Uh, and he's a lefty and he's got a huge forehand. Uh, he's, he's he would make a play for Catherine's intensity list. He's he's a T- good time. Taking every box. Yeah, he's a good time. He's fun. He's got weapons. I mean, I've watched his last two matches after Mary told us about him. Uh, he had to fight back from a breakdown today in the in the final set. He's playing a, again someone a couple of age categories above him tomorrow. A fellow American. I'm just fascinated. You know, the two years in the juniors, that's a big gap. Mm. And he's, and yet at the moment, he's, um, he's, you know, more than making up for that gap. But yeah, he's, he's certainly good one to watch. And apparently Lindsay Davenport is, you know, she really knows the junior game and she has, she's picked him out as someone who's really going to make it. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's a fun time. I'm going to try and watch some of him tomorrow. Love it. And if he does make it, then Darwin's owner can claim that Darwin is named after Darwin Blanche. <laughs> Very good. 
He's also uh, got a brother called Ulysses. No way. Mm. These oh. these parents are cool. Mm. An, an older brother, and I think there's I think there's another there's another brother and a sister as well. There's there's well, lots of them. Okay. Order of the day for tomorrow is obviously seeing Miyu Kato and Tim Puetz through to mixed doubles glory, but also finding out what those siblings are called. That is a priority for tomorrow. We have some shout outs coming up. I'm just going to keep you on the edge of your seat for those, though, while I tell you that the tennis podcast throughout Roland Garros is brought to you in association with On3123 on location, on location, the premium, the premium hospitality, hospitality experience, experience provider. They are, of course, as you've been hearing throughout Roland Garros, the official tour operator for the BMP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March, where maybe not next year, but I see a Darwin Blanche wildcard coming on at some stage. I'll tell you, he keeps going on the trajectories on at the moment. <laughs> He'll be in. Uh, and packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours for Indian Miles 2024 are on sale now. So if you'd like to go to Indian Miles in style, and quite frankly, why wouldn't you? Um, and experience what is honestly one of the most spectacular settings to watch professional tennis. You'll, as I always say, be staying in a four or five star hotel or accommodation. You'll have great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite to relax in in between matches. The place to go is toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast tours. The number for tennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section. If you can go, if you can afford to go, if you want to go, it it just doesn't disappoint. I'd in like your miles. I'd like to go again, please. Yeah, me too. It <laughs> most excellent. Nobody is ever disappointed by a trip to Indian Wells, is what I would say. So, I'm now going to tell you about Phoebe, our lovely mascot for Roland Garros. Hello, Phoebe. I'm going to tell you about our mascots, Maisie, Zenya, and Darwin. Right, Maisie. Soon to be. Named after Darwin Blanche. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about my dog, Billie Jean, who's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. She had a photo shoot today with Billie Jean, David. Mm. I'll share it's some of those stuff. materials with you shortly. It's, it's okay. good stuff. Okay. <laughs> we have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Hey. And we have shout outs. We have Claire Richards in York. Hello, Claire. Like Claire Liu. Like Claire Wood, uh, a name from the 90s, who's also now involved in the officiating department, I believe, of Wimbledon. So there we are. Also Claire Liu. <laughs> <laughs> of um, Sympathy Applause versus Igor Svantec in Indian Wells this year, fame. I'm sure she's done other things as well in her career that are great, but that's what I remember her for. Thank you, Claire. We've also got Lisa Casey, who is in Sydney. Right, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Like Lisa Raymond. Very good. Oh, very good. I was going to go Phil Casey, the golfer. <laughs> I was okay. desperate. Lisa Raymond, who was... Paul Casey. Paul Casey. <laughs> I haven't even got the right one. <laughs> Phil Casey is a God. press association reporter who used to cover tennis. I knew there was tennis. a Phil Casey. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter. Okay. 
Lisa Lisa <laughs> Raymond was uh, was a, a, a doubles champion, a massive doubles champion, wasn't she? She won yes. loads, won loads of stuff. So just just mentioning Twitter just now, I've realised there is something huge that I've missed out from the podcast, which is Holger Rune's tweets prior to his match today. What the bathroom ones? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a massive miss while we were discussing potential reasons for Holger being somewhat depleted at the start of the match. I mean, he's clearly been distracted by his by his home renovations, which he was <laughs> tweeting about mere hours before playing one of the biggest matches of his life. I'm still trying to work out what was it. Why? Why was he doing that? Honestly, don't know. I I wanted to stay back and go to the press conference to ask him. <laughs> Was it you doing those tweets? Because we know that his mum has been in charge. Has of his, his Twitter password. Has his Twitter password, certainly. Um, and, uh, yeah, if they were his tweets, then why? <laughs> uh, ten hours ago, so that would be at about 3.15 in the afternoon. He said, meanwhile at home, things moving forward. Bathroom on its way, tick. Hashtag Copenhagen project. And then there's two really weird, very close-up shots of a bathroom sink. <laughs> and then he follows that up with an outdoor shot. Nice to have updates from my summer cottage, looking cosy too. Needs a pool if this weather continues. That was at 4.15. Doesn't sound like him, does it? No. No. Anyway, who's our third shout-out for, Matt? <laughs> Sounds like a mum doing Twitter for a, a son. Mm. Yeah. yeah, thinking, I know what people want to hear about on match day. I know what his <laughs> fans want to see. <laughs> our final shout-out is for Aaron Roth, who is in Mansfield, Massachusetts. Hi, right, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Crickstein. Very good. Very good, Aaron. It's a real, like, athletic name, Aaron, I think. I feel like there should be lots of tennis Aarons, but I'm really struggling. The cameraman that I work with called Aaron in in tennis. Okay. I think Crickstein covers all bets. From the 90s. <laughs> was involved in the Jimmy Connors match. That'll do. I bet he loves being known for... Being involved in the Jimmy Connors <laughs> match, doesn't he? Uh, thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you, all of you, for being friends of the pod. If you'd like to become a friend, the link to do that is in our show notes. You can still get yourself a shout-out or an intro uh, to hear f- at some point in the remainder of the year. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll speak to you then. 
Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.